Christ at work in your life. And conflicts is an open door to your soul to let you know where the darkness resides in your heart. If you always see conflict as a bad thing, you're never going to grow from this. Scripture is given to us to help us understand when conflicts happens, it's revealing something about our heart. So what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? There's a conflict within your own heart. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot retain, so you fight and quarrel. All right? So here's the thing. When you're angry, it reveals a desire to control something or someone. So anytime there's conflict, usually there's anger pretty close connected to it and so it's revealing to you there's something you want to control there is desire that you have and the problem is you want to see that desire fulfilled and so you you know the person's not cooperating with you so you thought man if i just get really loud or my face gets really red or i throw something against the wall or maybe i punch something maybe it'll cower them into into submitting to what i want all right, and so we get out of control, and so we, we get angry, and we try to make this happen. We, we have this, and, and the anger is actually the seed of murder, according to Jesus. It is only a difference in degree between murder and the hatred, the anger that's in our own heart. You're starting to get a little bit of the bad news. We have murderous hearts. All right? And so it, it's, it's born out of us. And, and so he says, well, you do not have because you do not ask. In other words, instead of taking these desires and giving them to God, you're trying to figure it out yourself. But then some of you are saying, well, Pastor, that's not true. I've been praying about this. I've been asking God to give me that, that, uh, that Rolls Royce. You know, I, I've, been, I've been asking God to get my wife to cooperate. All right? I've been asking God for my, for my children to just listen to me. All right, I've, been, I've been asking for these things, and I'm praying about it. And then he says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. In other words, he's saying the problem is, is that you've got this desire, and you're using God to fulfill your desire. And this desire has now become idolatry. And God has become nothing more than a pez dispenser to give you the candy you want. Well, pastor, is it so wrong to have a good family? It can be, if it becomes your God. All right? And so, how, how, where do you get that? Well, notice what he says next. Verse 4, you adulterous people. Why are they adulterous? Because they are using God to get him to satisfy what they really love. All right? Maybe it's some s- reputation or whatever it is. You're committing adultery with God. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made us to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. You know what James is teaching us? He says, peace is found when you do what the angels say. Glory to God in the highest. To say that your desire, your passion, your pursuit, your goal in life is God's 
glory. When that becomes your desire, that you want Jesus more than anything, that you draw near to God more than anything else, it's amazing how you deal with conflicts differently, but conflicts still happen, do they not? You've just testified they happen. So the, te- the conflicts are revealing to us the various idols that are in our life. How do I call them idols? Because we're willing to hate someone. We're willing to at least not be kind to someone. We're willing to be rude, to be impatient with someone so that we can obtain that which we desire in our heart. What, what are we doing when we're being impatient? Well, we're disobeying God and how he's asked us to love people. So we're putting God in the back burner so that we can pursue this desire. So these conflicts reveal these desires in our heart. Do you understand where I'm, where I'm at here? Okay, you're, you're getting this? Every conflict is an opportunity for you to see what you're putting before Christ. So, is there any wonder that when God created the family and God created the church, there's probably a little part of them that said, you know, this is going to be wrecked with conflict. And that's good, so that you can see how Christ can be above these things. All right? So that's what's happening here as we read James. And, and this is in the mundane stuff. This isn't just World War Three. This isn't just terrorism. This is the terrorists in our families, all right? This is us. In the mundane, everyday stuff, it's easy. His conflict kind of reminds me of uh, the new Star Wars movie when, uh, when, when Luke... Oh. <laughs> See, I'm already about to mess up. Some of you are about to get really angry with me. Here's the good news on this, guys. I didn't watch the movie, so I didn't reveal anything, all right? So, for those of you who don't know, all right, a big movie came out. Everyone wants to watch Star Wars 3. Some of you have seen it. Most of us haven't, so please don't ruin it. And the worst thing, one of the church members kind of sent me this message. Don't ruin it, all right? Why? Why would I do that? If I did that, maybe it's to show some sense of, hey, guys, I got to see something you didn't see. And I'm better for it. You know, or maybe I'm just me. I get jolly as I'm watching you suffer. All right. But it's a pursuit of my own vain glory. And then some of you would get angry with me. It's like, you know what? I just want to watch a good movie. Is that too hard? I just want to, I just want to relax. I've been looking forward to this. And, and Pastor, you just ruined it. I just, you ruined a night that I've been looking forward to when I just wanted some comfort and entertainment for a little while. How much would we push off someone, hurt someone, to ensure that we have just a comfortable, good night? The answers revealed in our experiences, are they not? So these are just the mundane, everyday stuff where it's revealed our own heart and how we tend to push down others and the pursuit of our desires. So what is the bad news? The understanding here, as we read in Colossians, I hope you can appreciate a little bit more of what he's saying of where we're at. He says, you have been delivered. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, all right? So this is the world we live in. This is the, uh, the, the struggles we face is the everyday pursuit of our own comfort, our own goals, our own idols at the expense of other people. That's called darkness. When we live for the created thing and have the hope 
for the created thing versus the one who created and the God of all glory. That is living in darkness. But Jesus has come to transfer us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And then we learn a little bit more about how that happens. We get it. We get a hint of this and the angelic message. You remember the angelic message? Going back to Luke chapter 2, verse 14. He says, on earth, toward people of, of goodwill. For unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. See, this lets us know that peace is connected to Jesus as a Savior and as a King. The peace that's talked about here is connected, is tied to a Savior and a King. When the angels are saying, for unto you is born this day, and the city of David is Savior, who is Christ the Lord, he is referencing the, uh, the angels are really quoting Scripture. They're quoting and referencing back to Isaiah chapter 9. And you think, man, the angels, what authority do they have? The authority they have as angels is that they have a message from God. And so oftentimes, because it is a message from God, it's going to be Scripture itself. Why do I say that? I'm saying to you that what you have in your hands is as good or better than if an angel spoke to you every day giving you your orders. All they're going to do is reference back to the Word of God. So what's, what's found in Isaiah chapter 9? We, we heard it read some this morning. It says, uh, reading uh, verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen their great light. We're hearing that refrain, aren't we? Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. Who have multiplied the nations, who have increased his joys, they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, and they are glad when they divide the spoil. Keeps on reading down to verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So when the angels are proclaiming this message, they're really just quoting from Isaiah chapter 9. Say, look, in this dark place there is good news of great joy to all people. For unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Born in the city of David. So, when Jesus was walking on this earth, in John chapter 3, I think he makes allusion to these scripture passages in John chapter 3. Let me read to you. You know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that if anyone would believe in him, they will not perish but have everlasting life. Let me keep reading what he says after that. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people Love the darkness 
rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to light so that it might be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So as Jesus has walked this earth, he's remember, he, he knows what Isaiah 9 says. Mary perhaps told him about the angelic message of the shepherds and the wise men and everything else. And Jesus, as he is walking this ministry, says, here's my verdict. Here I am. I'm a light shining in the darkness. And the sad reality is that people, though they see light, hate it. Because they love doing what they want to do more than they want to see Jesus as their king and messiah. And that is the source of the heartbreak in the family pictures, all right, and in the world stage. So what do we do with this? If, it, if the problem is our own desires, what do we do with this? I, I want to go back to Colossians because I think it tells us very importantly, significantly, what we do with this. Realizing that peace can be found he says, you've got to remember that Jesus, first of all, we're operating from a position of victory. Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transfers to the kingdom of his beloved son. It's already been, the resources have been laid out. All right? The, the pathway has been made secure for us. Jesus Christ has, has found a way to transfer us from living in a realm of self-centeredness to a realm of peace. The kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. The reality is, is that God, when he died on the cross for you, knew that in 2015, in the last Sunday of 2000, no, second to last Sunday of 2015, that here you are, you know about Jesus Christ, you know of what he has done for you, but yet still today you would testify, you know what, I know all that Jesus has done, but I've still been living in conflict. And he's still died for you that though you would know that god has made a way for you to live for him and has shown us the way and given us the holy spirit that we would still hold tight to our own self-centered way and he still did it so what does that mean that even though you know all these things but yet we haven't been obedient to these things grace is still here God's forgiveness is still available to every single one of us. And so the first thing he asks us to do, he, he tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? Blessed are those who are bankrupt in spirit, who says, you know what, you talk about making peace, but I can't find it within myself. God says, good. That's where we're going to start, right there. You start right there. And then, mourn. Blessed are those who mourn that fact their brokenness they will be comforted blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they will be filled there is desire to say i want to be different i want to live differently i want to know this kingdom that's talked about in colossians and the angels announced blessed are those who are meek for they shall inherit the earth what does that mean you submit to God's way of doing it. You submit to God's way of doing it. Blessed are the pure in heart. 
for they shall see God. What does that mean? That means that in your heart, you now want to live for glory to God in the highest. And that is the only goal. The only goal. If I could live for God's glory, then I will be content. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Interesting enough, uh, when you go to the end of the Beatitudes, it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It goes back full circle to the poor in spirit, kingdom in heaven. And then he says, blessed are those who are persecuted. I'm just going to give you a little warning that if we are living for God's glory so that our own agendas are underneath that, it will take us down roads where actually there's some conflict with people who are in the dark. And they will take it out on us. And we will submit to that. And we will be persecuted as lambs led to the slaughter in a dark world. And then we keep on reading Colossians. How did this happen? Well, you see this in verse 20. Through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. When the angels are declaring this glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace toward men of those of goodwill, that could only be declared because one day Jesus would shed his blood. And then, verse 21, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Raise your hand if that's you. Are you someone who once were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds? That's, that's, that's me. And that's sometimes me, isn't it? You don't have to amen too much on that, right? Um, <laughs> but that's where we're at. Where, where the fight is at. That's the case, verse 22, yet he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Jesus died for me. I insulted the God who made the world and that glory is to be given to this God in the highest. And so I could not insult anyone greater. I've kind of just found the big dog and said, spit on his face when I live for myself. So there is an eternal punishment for that because it is an eternal crime. And so Jesus paid eternal death for that. And so that's what's being done here, that Jesus has reconciled us in the body of his flesh by his death. Why? Why did he do that? The goal here is not so that I can live somewhat half-hearted in Jesus Christ. To say, well, you know, Jesus is now my label He's my now my category. I, you can call me Christian. I will claim that label. That's not why he died for us. He didn't die for us just so that we can live how we want to live and continue. That's called darkness. Notice what he says. In order, verse 22, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. In other words, the resources of God are now working and at my disposal to transform me into this person who is blameless, holy, and above reproach before God. And like that picture, we think, well, you know, I'm a far cry from that. But that's where we're headed. That's 
where we're headed. We're headed to that family picture. We know the process isn't pretty to get there, but for, you know, one second we can look good. You see, Holy Spirit is working to get us to that point, not for one second, but for eternity. That's our destiny. So let me ask you, is your life goals agreeing with the eternal goals? If your life goals are something other than that, then you're going to go back to James, and you said these conflicts happen because your passions are at war with yourself. You understand what I'm saying here? What Scripture is bringing out? Your, your temporal goals, your life goals, must coincide with God's eternal goals for you, and they're spelled out for you in verse 22, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him, Verse 23, this is where we live right here. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation in heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So right now, there are these ebbs and flows, this struggle back and forth of, do I believe the gospel? Do I hold on to the gospel? Will the gospel be my directive? Will it be the force from which I operate? Or will I go back to other lesser hopes? Verse 23 is the reality. Why, I can ask you, how many of you had conflicts this past year and every single one of us will raise our hand? Because we live in verse 23 where there's this struggle. Will I believe God? Will I trust Him? Will His hopes be my hopes? Will His eternal destiny for me be my lifetime goal for me? And every conflict you have, even in the most mundane, simple, trivial things of which there is a conflict, God has given you a little open door to say, okay, let's examine this. Where are the conflicts in your heart? Where is the desire of your life? And I will share with you that if there is a conflict, then it doesn't happen unless one are usually both parties concerned have hearts at conflict with God's glory now none of us like to say that about ourselves because that just doesn't sound good but that is who we are and so when you have a conflict it is God's gift to you because the greatest thing you can get is more of Christ and it doesn't really matter if you lose something in the pursuit of gaining Christ See, even in marital strife, problems with your kids, problems with your parents, problems with your neighbors, problems with church members, they keep on happening because God is using them to teach you to hold tightly to the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're just revealing more sin in our life. So, there's a little saying we've been pastor and at least a few folks in our office y'all have heard the saying the struggle is real all right because you can't open the olive jar <laughs> struggle's real you know it's like okay but god is even more real and that's been the little saying that's been passed around to some of us uh, in the office the struggle's real but god is more real and so as we think about the lack of peace we're going to watch a little video just that reminds us of the lack of peace. It only just points to us 
that there is someone working in history and he's working in reality around us in the unseen and the spiritual to bring about his peace and there will be a day and this is our hope there will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord. And in that day, we will see the angelic armies as the shepherds saw on that day. And we will join with them with not one hint of sarcasm whatsoever and say, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace for men who are of goodwill because God's changed our hearts. And until that day comes, we keep hoping we keep praying, we keep loving, showing the example of Christ in the dark place where we may be. So watch this video. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing singing on its way, the world revolve from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Let's stand in prayer.